We've already covered a lot of turf, Lord, so slow us down now to hear your word. Take it to heart. So we listen well to you. For we don't want to rush into Easter and rush right back out. How foolish. But that's something that we would do if we didn't do this. So quiet our hearts to hear your word now, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. So John 17 is where we are. Last week we started this series, Fervent, by giving you the kind of the context. Chapters 13, 14, 15, 16 tell us Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. He says, I'm going to die, going to go to heaven, prepare a place for you, but I'm going to call you friends. He gives them instructions. I think all that's the upper room. This is the night before he's going to go to the cross. And at the end of that, I think he serves the table, and then he goes into the garden and prays. And John records pieces of that prayer, really three parts to the prayer. He'll pray, first of all, that all of God's people would call God in heaven Father. And by doing that, uh, we understand Jesus wants us to have a relationship with the Father. I find it interesting, just in that one discourse, Jesus will call God in heaven, he will call him Father over 50 times. 50 times. I think that's significant that Jesus wants us to have the same relationship that, that he has with the Father. He wants us to have that same relationship with him. It's as if he's saying in the first five verses or so, I want these followers to know you, Father, like I know you. And if we get nothing else from the prayer, it's that we need a Father who's in heaven. And so for some of us who come from hurt, busted, broken relationships, calling him Father is a difficult thing. I get that. Understand this. You didn't do anything wrong. It's Satan who's out for you to, be, to keep the Father at a distance and to keep you busted, broken, so you never get close to God. Don't think that this is a, just a human relationship thing. This is a spiritual battle, warfare, for you to have an inflicted pain over that word Father. That's what Jesus wants for you. It's for you to have security and provision and to know that there's someone stronger, greater than you, so you know where you came from. Father. Now Jesus moves to the second stage of the prayer, and he's going to pray for the disciples. And he knows that he's before the Father. He knows later he'll address the whole world population. But, but right now, this is the prayer just for the followers. Verse 6. I have revealed you to those to whom uh, you gave me to, out of the world. They are yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything that you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and that they believed that you sent me. Let me stop there. If ever you were wondering about someone's assurance of salvation, here it is. Jesus is saying they believe, they've accepted the word, they've believed, and I'm seeing they are, verse uh, 6, they obeyed the word. Sometimes people come to me and say, well, my son or my daughter lives like the devil. You never know they're a Christian. But when they were a kid, they said this prayer. Well, I'm happy. But that's not the definition Jesus gives of a follower. Jesus gives the definition of a follower. Someone who believes, someone who takes it to the word and follows the word. I pray for them. 
I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. He's saying, I'm I'm praying just for the disciples right now, not for the world, just the disciples, get that. All I have, verse 10, is yours, and all you have is mine. The glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. He said, I'm going to go to heaven now, Father, pretty soon. I'm going to leave them behind. So keep them together, hold them together. And while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None of them, none has been lost except the one doomed for destruction so that the scripture could be fulfilled. That would be obviously Judas. Verse 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things to you while I'm still in the world so that that they may have full assurance of the joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Get that down. You will not be popular necessarily, your follower of Jesus. You may be hated. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. And sanctify them. Here's the end of the segment. Sanctify them. Set them apart as holy. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent them into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they may be truly sanctified. I see threefold prayer of Jesus for these disciples. Obviously, a whole lot in here. But the first thing I see, verse 11, is the prayer for unity. He said, I'm not going to remain in the world no longer. I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to leave them behind. It's important, Father, that they stick together. If they don't stick together, they're going to fall apart. So I pray, verse 11, that they may be one as we are one. I want them to stick together, Father, just like you and I stick together. What would it be like to be that close to the brothers and sisters in Christ? That we, that's our common, not only our faith, but our values and our hope, our destiny. So the prayer is, number one, unity. But number two, the prayer is also protection. My prayer, verse 15, is not that you take them out of the world. He's saying, I, once they believe, I don't want you to kill them. I, I, I just, I, they're going to be left behind. So I'm not, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but rather that you just protect them. They need to learn to stand, and maybe that will be building to their faith. And then thirdly, the end of this passage, verse 17, sanctify them. Set them apart, really, by the truth, for your word is truth. The word sanctifies, the word hagias. It's, it's the idea of it is to set it apart like it's special. Any of you have plates, dishes at home? The same seven. Okay. We have plates at our house, silverware. Uh, but then we have some other plates that are in the dining room. You know what I'm talking about? And we only use those for special occasions, Right? We use these other plates all the time. They're in and out. They're in the cabinet. They're in the dishwasher. We use them. We just take them. They're just constantly rotating. Those are day-to-day common plates. Then we have these special plates. You have, uh, anybody have special plates? Yeah. Then we have a special plate within the special plates. These special plates are used only for special occasions. Christmas, Easter. We use them on birthdays. And then when grandma comes. Okay? We have, clo- we have paper napkins all the time when grandma comes we get cloth napkins um, 
when just Dave is home, it's a vinyl tablecloth <laughs> with an overhead hose, you know, you could just imagine. And then, and then when grandma comes, there's this cloth tablecloth, real nice tablecloth. We have, in the nice plates, we have a plate that even says on the plate, you are special today. Okay? And we, when, we, when it's a birthday, that, the birthday person gets that. That's their plate for the day. And we, we circle it around so they can read it. And, and then the kids will remind each other, only today. Okay. It's special. And because it's special, that's called sanctified. It's set apart. We don't use those dishes all the time. They're, it's special. And that's the idea. They're separate. And you know, understand this. When God sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world, when you trusted Christ, Christ not only took you out of the world of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son that he loves, but he pulled you out, separated you. Get this, that's holy. He pulled you out for a special reason. That's why you need to learn what that reason is, where you need to serve and the difference you can make. Because he pulled you out, not just to go to heaven, but to be a holy people, a royal priesthood, who serve in their gifts, and you find out why he pulled you out for that special purpose. When you do that, you will never be more fully alive other than being in heaven. That's the most alive you'll ever be. That's why you need to figure out what, how God's designed you. Because you have been set aside, sanctified, to be special. And the, in, in that is the connotation of holy. You're separate from the rest of them. Now, that's the prayer. The prayer is unity, protection, holiness. Because he knew, Jesus knew, if they're together, um, divided, they're never going to make it. The disciples are never going to make it if they divide up. Uh, he knew too, if they weren't protected, they would go down. They would lose their confidence and certainly, certainly sink. He knew too, if they were not holy, sanctified, the truth would never take root. Get that from verse 17. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. In other words, scrub them clean Make them separate, holy, separated people. And you're going to do that through the word. Truth-driven people. And we've been taken captive by the truth. So why is Jesus praying this now? We don't have record of that, this prayer earlier. Why now? Because he's leaving. And we know this. We know that Jesus is the grand unifier and he, you know, when the unifier's in the room, they behaved a little more. But you get Jesus out of the room, and it goes sideways, doesn't it? It goes crazy at times. So even in Jesus' presence, the guys were a little bit squirrely. They did not get along all that well. They were competitive. They wanted special favors. They always thought they were better than other disciples. Well, you're in the discipleship. Yeah, you're the, you're the elect 12. You must be cool. Yeah, but I'm in the inner circle of the 12. I'm super special. And you know how it is. People think they're really something. But, you know, you think you're something, and I think I'm something. But that's nothing compared to what our moms think. Right? There was a mom that actually showed up to Jesus and said, I know you have 12 but my son is really the best. I'm just being truthful with you here, Jesus. And you have heard that on the sideline at soccer, right? Put my son in. You know, and T-ball, theater group, my, play my daughter. She is the stunning, stellar beauty queen for the theater piece. You need to put her I, I mean to be humble about it, but she is, oh my gosh, she's just the best. You know, we just think that, right? 
And that's when you're a coach of the soccer team, you say, thank you, ma'am, you can go back to your car now. Right? You can leave. He's no more special than anybody else on the team. These guys couldn't get along, and even their moms were jumping in on the story going, pick me, pick me. They had an ability to self-destruct as a team. They would undo the very lessons Jesus taught them. So what was Jesus' prayer? That they be unified. But we see, we're no different. We're no different than the disciples. The ability to compare and become petty, to choose sides, it just happens. That's why it's so very important that we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. You, you do not understand how vitally important that is. I met with a buddy of mine I've known for 20 years. He has moved corporately a number of times, and in the moves, we, we would check in and talk, we'd email and phone, and we had the ability to get together recently. And I sat down, and he just is new in a town. I said, how's it going? You found a church? He said, well, in our last town, we found a church. I, he said, we, we, we had a hard time finding a church. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we started attending a church. We were there three or four times, met some people, made some friends. We thought it was all good. And we were in the lobby talking with our friends. One of the couples left, got in the car and drove away. And as soon as they drove away, the other couples in the circle started throwing darts at them telling horrible things and my buddy says honey meet me at the car we have to get out of this group and she says yeah but this is a great church we could attend this church she goes no we can't because there'll be a day we get in the car <laughs> and what will they be saying about us it was so divisive he said they had to run away because once it's in the water once it's in the culture it just self-destructs see we're not that different Making, we have to make concerted effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4. And in every real sense, too, we need Jesus to be our protector. His prayer was protect them. Protect them because people will hate them, but protect them because they could be self-destructing themselves. It could be us. We could attend church regularly and we could listen to a read a blog or listen to a radio broadcast or a podcast. We could purchase artwork. You, know, you may have artwork at your house, at your front doors. Me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But you, after a while, those artwork pieces just kind of fade away. We don't even see them anymore. They become invisible. And we forget that he will keep us in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in you, Isaiah chapter 26. We need our, our hearts guarded and, and we need someone stronger than us to protect us because we'll never make it. So the prayer for unity is important, the prayer for protection. That's our prayer too. And then, of course, the prayer for holiness is just, that just makes total sense because we would love to have pure hearts that are driven by God-given motives, but the truth is we're just not there most days. So let me break this down a little more. Unity. What would be some things we could say or some things you might think about this week? One of them would be this question, how could I demonstrate loyalty or, or, or how could I demonstrate my confidence in another believer, a brother or sister in Christ? How could I affirm or encourage another? What could I do to intentionally build a bridge to another brother or sister in Christ? Because ultimately, I'm going to heaven. They are too. So how can I be on the same team with them and move their heart forward for boldness in the kingdom and, and demonstrate oneness. My prayer would be, Lord, give me a spirit of unity so I stand with my brothers and sisters. I stand together. Now, and not just people who attend the church I attend, but all brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a bond that can't be beat. But then secondly, uh, 
break down that aspect of protection because we live really, frankly, as foreigners in the land. We're headed to heaven, but the evil one wants to steal our soul, steal our joy, steal our confidence. So even though we're headed to heaven, we want our lives to be safe. We want the prayer of God is always going to be, Lord, protect us. Protect us from the evil one, but protect us from the stupid things we might do too. So Lord, give us strength to stand and guard our hearts, Lord. Sometimes the enemy isn't out there. Sometimes it's in here. One of the, one of the things the elderly Christians will tell me is, is, sure, it's hard to be youthful and follow Christ, but as you age, it doesn't get easier. You get to middle age, you want to cut the corners. And I, I've heard more than one elderly person tell me, aging, becoming old as a Christian, is not for wimps, because you want to finish well. You want to keep your eye on the prize. You don't want to blow it at the end. And unfortunately, we have biblical examples of those who've done that. They blow it right at the end of their life. And you wish they'd finished, they'd run through the tape, if you will. But they didn't. So our prayer is holiness, God, and we never give up on that. We never give up and we never give in to being a holy people. Um, so Lord, uh, the prayer is to hold us close so we're pure. I, I have a book with me um, by Mark Batterson from National Community Church in D.C. It's a good book called Circle Maker. If you'll bear with me, I'd like to read a couple of paragraphs. The Circle Maker is... Uh, story uh, focused on prayer and he's in this chapter he's talking about persistence in standardized math tests Japanese children consistently score higher than American counterparts while some assume that a natural proclivity towards mathematics is the primary difference researchers have discovered that it may have more to do with effort than ability in one study involving first graders students were given a difficult puzzle to solve the researchers weren't interested in whether or not the children could solve the puzzle. They simply wanted to see how long they would work at it before giving up. The American children lasted 9.47 minutes. The Japanese children lasted 13.93 minutes. In other words, the Japanese children tried about 40% longer. So, is it any wonder that they score higher in math exams? Researchers concluded that the difference in math scores might have less to do with intelligence and might have more to do with the persistence quotient. The Japanese first graders simply tried harder. That study not only explains the difference in standardized math scores, the implications are true no matter what, where you turn. It doesn't matter whether it's athletics, academics, math, or, or music. There are no shortcuts, no substitutes. Success is a derivative of persistence. Persistence. What would happen if we prayed like that? If we just prayed 40% longer? Okay? He goes on to say another study with violin players, little children who violin players from a, uh, an academy in Berlin, and they, they gathered all the violin players who played practice pretty much up until the age of eight, about 30 minutes a day. And then they each took their own route and pursued different things, and they found three different categories of kids. One category of kids was really good on the violin, really good. Another had done even better, and probably were going to become pros, but an even a third segment, a third segment 
mastered the violin. And what they found was this. By the time those kids grew up, that first group practiced the violin 4,000 hours. The group that went pro, 6,000 hours. And the people who mastered it, 10,000 hours. Batterson goes on to say, neurologist Daniel Levitin notes that it's that 10,000 hour mark, that's what it takes to master anything. To be world class at anything, in study after study, composers, basketball players, fiction writers, ice skaters, concert pianists, chess players, master criminals, whatever it is, it takes 10,000 hours to be that good at it. And so that begs the question, what about our prayer? What if we were that persistent with our prayer? I read that, and it just, it really chimed with me, but then I listened to a guy by the name of Robert Morris. Robert Morris pastors the Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas. You may not know that name or that church, but we sing some music, comes from Gateway. Kari Job is one of their worship leaders, but they have other music that we do. It's a good church, but Robert Morris tells one of the pieces of the success of Gateway Church, and what he found was this. He pastors his church, but he came from a Christian home. His kids are following Christ. They believe the Lord. They have their struggles, but it's a Christian home. He came from a Christian home. His mom and dad were believers in Christ. They went to church. They, they followed the Lord. Had, they just followed the disciplines of following the Lord. But he once asked his dad, so how did you come to Christ? And, and dad said, you do know grandpa's not a believer. He said, uh, yeah, I knew that, but uh, so how did you come to Christ? He said, well, it's a crazy story. Grandpa, and he begins to tell the story. Grandpa worked for the state of Texas, and Grandpa filled potholes, and they went around the state with an asphalt truck, filling potholes and tamping it down. And Robert Morris's dad says, when I was a teenager, there was a guy who took an interest in your grandpa. And he said, I want you to come over to the house. I want to talk to you about something. Well, when Robert Morris's dad heard that, he said, uh, his dad said, I'm going to leave. I'll be back. He said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to a guy's house. And his dad had just gotten his license. He just wanted to drive anywhere. You know how it is. Just wanted to drive anywhere. He said, well, can I drive you? And the dad said, yeah, you can drive. Grandpa said, you can drive. But you're going to stay outside. You're not going to come in the house. You weren't invited. So he drives his dad to this guy's house. When he gets there, they go in the house, typical Texas-style house, where there's a screen door, but they leave the front door open, the big, massive wooden door, they leave it open until they go to bed at night. So Robert Morris's dad sits down on the front steps to the house, screen door there, and that asphalt guy tells Grandpa the story of Jesus and says, we are sinners, we need a savior, and Christ died for you. And when he got all done, he said to Grandpa, would you like to receive Christ? Grandpa said, no, I, I would not. I think I just want to think about it. He said, okay. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, let's suppose you decide to follow Christ one day. Let me tell you the prayer I prayed. I'm going to give you a prayer. And he unfolded the prayer. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner. I don't deserve heaven. But I know Jesus came to be my savior. I trust him as my own. I want him in my life. Please forgive me my sins. I accept Christ. I trust him today. And Grandpa did not pray that prayer. But Robert Morris's dad did, sitting out on the front steps of the house. And that began the walk of faith. So Robert Morris's dad then grows up, 
gets married, marries a Christian girl, has a Christian home because someone prayed. Well, now Robert says, you know, Grandpa's of age. Has he ever trusted Christ? And his dad says, no, he never has. So Robert goes to visit his grandpa, and he says, you're about ready to die. And let me tell you what's going to happen. He tells, talk, talks to him about heaven and hell, and he says, you need to make the decision to trust Christ. And grandpa trusted Christ within weeks of dying, by the way. Well, now Robert says, I have to find that asphalt guy. I got to tell him. He said, you'll never find him. It was before we had all the stuff we have today. I mean, you can find anybody now, right? So Robert says, he went to directory assistance. He went looking for this guy, and he finally finds him. And this guy's near death himself. And he says, um, he calls him, and he says, my name is Robert Morris. Do you know who I am? He says, no, I don't. He said, my dad's name is, he gives him his dad's name, he says, I don't know him either. He said, well, my grandpa's name is, he goes, that name I know. I know that name. He said, you do? He said, yeah, I pray for him every day. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I pray for him every day. He says, um, that's my grandfather. He just died, but I wanted you to know, I'm about ready to cry telling you the story. I wanted you to know Weeks before he died, he came to Jesus as Savior. He said, why did you say you prayed for him? He said, well, everybody I tell the gospel to, I write in the back of my Bible. I write their name. And uh, your grandfather's name is back there, and it's the only name not checked off. He, I check them off when they get saved. So he's been praying for this guy for 50 years or more at this point. He said, I'm going to go get my Bible and check him off. I'm telling you, prayer works, it, right? But it only works if we work it. If we're persistent in prayer, it'll work. But we have to believe God for something greater, something better. We have to believe God for the names you're writing down now. We have to believe him and trust him. And then we just need to ask. He wants to fulfill your prayer. You just need to ask it. Just ask it. Have you ever done that with your kids? Just tell me what you want. I'll get it. I'm your dad. I love to give good gifts, right? Your parent, you don't understand that. So the Father in heaven wants to give you, so all we need to do is ask and stay at it for unity, protection, and then holiness. That'll be our prayer for each other this week. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and you go to prayer, and we're going to take the next few moments to pray. And maybe you're going to pray, God, just make me fervent in my prayers. Make me persistent in my prayers. And I'm going to ask elders, uh, small group leaders, if you slip out, if you're in, in the auditorium, just slip out, meet me here at the front, and just stand at the floor. If you need, if anybody in the room needs someone to just to pray for them for the next few minutes, all I want you to do is slip up to the front, get a hold of one of these people who's standing up at the front, and give them one sentence. Tell them what you need prayer for, and they'll pray for you. If you don't even know what you need prayer for, just say, I don't even know. And they'll pray for you. And then at the end of the prayer, you're going to go back to your seat. It's just that simple. And I'm going to give you a few moments to thank God in heaven for your salvation. But ask God, God, make me fervent. Make me persistent in the prayer. And, and as you do that, the Holy Spirit will work in your life and bring people to your memory. People that need Christ, perhaps. I'll give you time to pray.
And if you need prayer, you just slip to the front, pray with the people up along the floor at the front of the stage, and then you can go back to your seat. You're praying for persistence. Pray for unity to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And for protection, Lord, you pray for the brothers and sisters around you that, Lord, would you guard their hearts. For we know everything flows out of the heart. And our prayer, Lord, too, is for holiness, to make every effort to live in peace, in peace with everyone, and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. going to ask that you all stand let's stand together and let's go to the lord in prayer again and you you continue to pray as i pray aloud and if you need to come you keep coming for prayer uh, and then we'll be at the close of the service off to the side to pray uh, our elder keith who led communion will be will be off to the side to pray for anybody who uh, needs prayer at the close of the service god just to touch heaven would be a privilege to get it for a moment to see a glimpse of your glory and to enjoy your favor, to call upon the Lord who is able to do whatever. Lord, may we be people who are bold to pray and call you our Father. May we stand together unified as one body with no division, protected because we cover each other and because we know we have your covering. And of course, holy people set apart for your use and living out that use for your glory. Lord, make us persistent prayers before the throne, which is that great throne of grace. Please, we pray in Christ's name. The church says, amen. Amen.